save big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You think about the person in your life, when you started, believing you more than anyone else. They're the ones that made the sacrifice. And I walk out, my old man's next to me. They're not just looking at you, they're looking at what made you. I want them talking about our fucking game. I want them talking about us. Alright, enjoy your lunch, 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 lunch. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Wendy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Wendy. And our tactics guy, and a man who will explore the range of options available given the clear need for escalation and resolution, it's Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> oh, that is me. Yeah, fucking hell, these people. Honestly, honestly, their ability to make anything into the most overegged grand conspiracy is is I don't know. It's unsurpassed. They're they're impressive. They're an impressive breed. The fans alone are an impressive breed, but then the club have bought into it and have made this into some grand injustice slash conspiracy. Mistakes happen in football, guys. Like we moan about them every fucking week on the podcast. It's not just you. Um lots more to say about this. Uh, how you boys doing? Not too bad. Oh, we, we're not getting into this right now. I have been warned. My wife said to me that, that she ever gets involved in our running order. She's like, don't talk about it. She's she's fed up of it. She doesn't even listen to any football content. But all the content that she's digested today has had VAR chat. Oh, it's absurd that that is the case, isn't it? That it's gone beyond the sort of realms of the general weekly football discourse. It's made it onto breakfast TV and and beyond. I mean, honestly. Do you know where I'm at, I'm at the point now? Like, we've all been there. We've all gone for a night out and you're in a group and there's just somebody who's a misery <laughs> complaining, oh, it's cold, oh, it's too hot, there's too <laughs> many crowds. And, like, you're out for a good time. You're, you've really been looking forward to this. And it's just got to the point where you just wish you hadn't bothered. Sometimes, like, at points of them, like, we won this game, <laughs> but I'm just so tired of it. Like, maybe if we'd drawn it, they wouldn't be complaining about it, but they probably would. Even if they'd won, they'd be complaining about it. So part of me is just like... <laughs> they really would. Let's just, let's just rematch and smash them up properly, then they can't <laughs> complain. It's just just tired of them. Just shut up. What, what I really want to happen, and I did tweet this, they, they are going to appeal the Curtis Jones red card. I really want them to get an additional game added to his ban for a frivolous appeal, because I think they are taking the piss with that one. Does that actually happen? I thought that was just a football manager. It's, no, it's a thing. It's a thing. It hasn't Correct. happened for a while, as far as I'm aware, but it's definitely a thing. Um, and ban McAllister as well. Ban him. <laughs> for, for Forever? No, at least give him one game for being a dick. Just 
Banklop. I'd go out. FA should just go, just go ham on them. Just say <laughs> we're going to get our revenge for dragging our name through the mud, bribery, conspiracy. I walked. I didn't want to talk about, it, but I'm going to. This is my final point that I'm, I'll never mention this again. But I took the dog out for a walk on Sunday, and I listened back to 606, which for those of oh people god, you're away, a brave man. Yeah, it's a it's a live call-in show post game on a Saturday night and the amount of tinfoil hat conspiracy theories coming out of there pep all kinds of stuff is quite unbelievable they like the, the 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 lengths that they think that Tottenham Hotspur who can't organize anything would go to 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 rig a match or the, the fact that the Premier League would want to support Tottenham Hotspur to win in for winning this game it doesn't make any sense anyway that's it I'm sorry the other thing that struck me with this whole discourse is how much we are hated by other clubs <laughs> we are hated and I don't know quite where it started I, I guess it started under Pochettino and the fact that we they were scared of us um, and then maybe the fact that we had Mourinho and Conte as managers um, but we are despised we're absolutely despised by fans of other clubs and it's going to really bug them because Postacoglu is so likeable and the, the pundits have all warmed to him everyone's talking about us in glowing terms and you just know that's going to really get up the noses of rival fans as the season progresses and that's a glorious thing how are you Nathan? <laughs> I thought he was probably off <laughs> Close one, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll start where we always start. We'll start with the, the team lineup. So we knew that there were going to be some changes going to this game. We knew that uh, that Brennan Johnson was going to miss a match. We thought that Madison and Son were 50-50 and they both did come off early. So that, that's, that definitely uh, was true. Um, I'd been told ahead of time that Jamie Donnelly was going to be on the bench, which I was very, very excited about. Very excited about. I do want to talk about that a little bit. Um, but did you think that that was the right team that we picked to face Liverpool? Were you happy with the selection, Richarlison on the left, Sun through the middle? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, Sun through the middle makes sense because you're you're expecting again a, a more transitional game. Makes sense for him. And then and a um, high line and a high line. Yeah, and then obviously on on Friday you were, you were both there. We did. I did a sort of a bit of a a pre analysis on on Discord. Yeah, right? that was went over some Liverpool footage. And I said they're they're using Gomez inverted in their build up, so we should be looking to set up a trap um, with our left winger. Um, however, with with Johnson out, Perisic out, um, I've got concerns over Solomon's ability to do that because I thought he was actually really quite poor in his his pressing efforts against Arsenal. I I didn't then go as far to say we should play Richarlison there, but then seeing Richarlison on the team sheet, I went, oh, that actually makes perfect sense. Now in the end. Um, we didn't set up our press in that way to invite the pass into Gomez. We just pressed really hard with like a front four, mm-hmm. um, which Richardson was equally <laughs> important as mm-hmm. in any won the ball a number of times and, and, and was, was really, really strong defensively. Um, so, I mean, to that point, I think that our, our overall approach, um, for the opening 26 minutes of the game, um, was good and made sense. Um, I think, um, I think Spurs probably were edging it in that opening 26 minutes. It wasn't materialising in, in the shots. Mm. Uh, Liverpool certainly had a threat on the counter, which they always have. Um, but I was largely, I felt the opening 26 minutes were, were promising for Spurs. Um, if, if you know, uh, certainly a little scary. And then the game changed. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I agree that we were edging it. I think okay. there was some really good stuff, uh, both in and out of possession. The high, yeah. the high press was completely exceptional. And, you know, we forced Allison to play into touch a couple of times, which is a, yep. a rare thing. We forced Van Dyke to play long balls and then just mopped, mopped them up, which is a rare thing. We, we really had them when they had the ball at the back. But as soon as they broke the, the first line of the press... They were so dangerous and, and they caught okay. us numerous times. And I did feel worried that they were going to create something. And, and, you know, Salah's touch is unbelievable. As soon as he makes it stick, you just think, God, we're in for a hit. Um, and we had a few we had a few issues with him, I thought. I mean, you know, he's one of the best players in the world. It's going gonna, it's gonna to happen, right? Um, and whilst I thought we were really calm at playing out from the back and it was, it was looking good in that respect, I did think that Madison took a, a strong dip this week. In terms of his performance, obviously he played that exceptional three ball to Richardson and another one a bit later on. Um, but I didn't think he was half as good as he had been, you know, carrying an injury that could have absolutely had a, an impact on his performance. Uh, and, and for me, that's where I felt that we were not quite as good. Um, I, yeah, I really enjoyed watching the game back today. Obviously, when you watch the game the first time, you're kind of in the moment, and this was a really punchy, exciting match with lots going on. Um, but watching it back in the cold light of day, knowing the result, my view on the game did change a little. I've got a hot take, actually. Are you interested in my hot take on the game? Always. So we had a question from Maurizio from the Discord who said, is Richarlison the solution for the left wing problem? My hot take is that until he was moved into the middle, Richarlison was actually our man of the match. I thought he was completely and utterly outstanding in this game from the left wing position, both in terms of his pressing, when he pressed, um, when he supported the press, he cut out passes forward brilliantly by anticipating where it's going to go and winning headers and intercepting. Uh, he made exceptional runs. The run for the, the Son goal was amazing. He used his left foot several times. He went to the outside to get a really useful cross in. He he picked up a, a great position to get a shot in, which hit the post from inside the box with his left foot going across the keeper really smartly. He had a really nice bit of interplay where he fed it to Son and Son took a shot. And if he'd just got his head up and fed Richarlison back in, he'd have been through one-on-one -on -one again. And he just generally plays some lovely first-time passes to Udogi as well. And watching his performance back, I was thinking, yeah, he he will keep his place. And Johnson's going to have a battle to get back into a starting eleven. I thought Richarlison was fabulous on the left side. Um, and previously, I thought that Porro had been man of the match when I'd watched it the first time around. And Porro's performance stands up to a second viewing. But Richarlison's yeah. performance was that good, that strong. That I just yeah I, I, he swayed me. I thought he was fantastic. Mm, that's interesting, uh, buddy. Our bets for goals and assists. Yeah, right. <laughs> 15, Fifteen goals plus assists. <laughs> um, yeah, I I I thought he was good. Um, I wasn't blown away. Maybe that's worth a rewatch. Um, but I think yeah. Um, hmm. uh, obviously, I'm skipping ahead a little here for, for to, to contextualise. But I was incredibly incredibly frustrated by Solomon's mm. cameo in this game oh my goodness yeah and so putting that to the side for now on that basis with um with Johnson and Perisic out um yeah I, th I think Richardson's the left side of starter and I guess the benefit of that is we've talked about how like um when there's space in behind it makes sense for Sun to play up top when there isn't space in behind it makes sense for Richardson to play up top and then if they're both on the pitch at the same time you can just change them on the flip and you don't have to use up one of your subs yeah um, and worry about who you're taking off. 
um, and, and move them around based on what the opposition are up to. So that makes some sense. So yeah, I'm, I mean, I was um, thinking the other day how like um, back when what was it, like 2015, 2016, Spurs needed like a dribbly winger, and there was this guy at Watford called Richardson who was doing some pretty good stuff on the left. Um, so I guess I think I think like he's grown, like he's put on some some muscle weight in that time. He's he's not a spindly, and he's more of a target man. Um, but like, yeah, he can he can beat a man on the left. So I don't I don't hate it. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see more of that. I think. Mm. I thought he was fine at left wing. I think unfortunately when he went into the middle, they had everybody. They had all yeah. the the massive dudes in the middle. So yeah, there was nothing happening there, and we were unable to whip in a, an early cross. But the, there's two things. First of all, I should have been at this game, but I couldn't make it for various reasons. So I I watched it on TV and I. I didn't. I didn't enjoy it as much as being there. I mm. think I allowed the the commentary and everything else to kind of drag me along with the narratives and everything else. And I don't enjoy that. I like to make my own opinions. I'm, you may have noticed I'm, I'm a man of my own of my own opinions. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I didn't enjoy the TV experience that much. But I did think it was a ga- it was a high game of risk. You know, Liverpool pressed really well, and mm. Gakpo was sensational. He was mm-hmm. filling all the holes and much better than perhaps Nunez would have done. So he was he was a real problem. So I was happy when he went off injured. I did think it was that it was on a knife edge until the sending off. Liverpool was so hyped, man. They were running around, closing down everything. And ultimately that's what cost them because Curtis, Curtis Jones was so desperate. He didn't go to break Basuma's leg, but he was so desperate to win that ball and get in Basuma so as quick as he could that he made a mistake. And um, sometimes when you're playing high stakes football, it's the team that makes the first mistake that goes on to lose. And I think ultimately that's what Liverpool did. They tried, they tried to win the game. They tried to be strong, and they they over they overcooked it, and mm. they got done. And I think ultimately it's on them. They can't continue to progress through the season having players sent off. It's sometimes going to be a bad refereeing decision, but the majority of the time it's their individuals, and that's Van Dijk, McAllister, Curtis Jones, Jota. Now you're not going to win the league with that many players sent off. That the narrative around that Jones sending off was really frustrating me because it was like. You know, he wasn't trying to injure him. All he was doing was putting his foot over the ball to protect it. And my view is, in making that motion to put your foot over the ball with a downward sort of stamping motion with your studs, you are and doing it with force, by the way, you're risking hurting the individual if it doesn't go to plan. You're yep. if, if you hit the top of the ball and your studs roll off, you're going to potentially do someone a mischief. If you land on their foot rather than the turf, you're going to hurt them. You're going to potentially break a bone in the top of their foot. So he deserved that red card. It was... A calculated risk and he 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 failed and and therefore he pays the price and i didn't really understand the point that neville was making like sure he might not have tried to hurt him but he knew there was a possibility that he hurt him if he mistimed it somewhat you know he could have just gone into the ball with his side foot and and competed for a 50 50 and seen where the ball bounced off but he was trying deliberately to regain control of the ball in a way that does endanger the opponent so for me there's there's no i don't understand where the argument comes that that's not a red card Danny Rose was sent off ages ago yeah. um, at, at Villa Park for something very similar. Yeah. He's gone to tackle the ball. He's His studs are up and he's hit the top of the ball and he's gone through on Alan Hutton, who probably wouldn't even notice. If, you wouldn't notice if his leg was broken and his football skills. And he was sent off. 
and it was very similar to that and we didn't ask for that game to be replayed you know absolutely um so alex j bab has asked how should you actually set up versus a team with nine players and no interest in anything but defending do you sub off both center backs for attackers and i think we should first talk about how we went about playing 11 v 10 uh, and then come on to talking about how he played 11v9. So, you know, 11v10, we, we carried on in the same system. They played 4-4-1. Uh, they, they moved Gakpo to the right and had Salah up front. Um, and we got the goal, you know. We, there, there were some good good sections, but I didn't think we were really hammering home the advantage. And it's difficult because, obviously, when you've got 10 men you are a little more cautious and you want to play a bit more on the counter and it, it becomes trickier to play against. They were very narrow, two banks of four with with Salah up front and, and that's tough to play against. Um, Nathan, did you, did you, what did you make of how we approached that stage of the match? Um, I, I, I was frustrated by how we, how we approached it. I mean, pretty quickly we scored a goal. Yeah. Um, um, and I felt good about how he arrived at the time, and and it is a nice move. But again, I, I think that, that move was indicative of us kind of forcing things um, and not not establishing control versus ten men. So what uh, <laughs> you guys wanted to record about two hours ago, and I was like, I need time to rewatch the game and make a bunch of notes, <laughs> and I did that. And then uh, my mate John McKenzie put out a video on Tifo um, that's really, really good um, on on how we set up versus 10 and how we set up versus 9 and how we probably should have done instead. So um, really good stuff there. But um, yeah, I, I felt like we, we kind of forced things. I think that it's worth saying um, that Liverpool are in a bit of a weird place um, tactically and in terms of their sort of tactical identity. Um, they received a number of red cards this season. And I think it's worth them asking if the way that they play um, leaves them in situations in which they have to commit tactical fouls mm-hmm. or, or or have to deal with 1v1s in a large amount of space, mm-hmm. forward-facing, things like that. But also, um, they've been going back to these sort of um, yeah, 15, 16 era style medium high block press that that looks to 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 allow the first few passes and create turnovers in midfield this is something that we picked up when we did our analysis on friday um and that's not operating perfectly when they go down to 10 men they're obviously forced to play low block and counter and i think against newcastle against us um that really favors their personnel mm. that that really kind of forces them to set up in a way that is really tactically useful for for who they are and, and who they have in their team so they're they're really dangerous <laughs> 10 v 11 and i feel like spurs kind of knew that um maybe were too aware of that um but yeah failed to um failed to dominate the game at 10 v 11 failed we 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 uh, and John's just said the exact same thing, which, which is very frustrating. Um, but uh, we're t- we were too slow in our build-up, mm-hmm. and then we were too fast in the final third. A force-in plays, looking for the early cross um, when there's already lots of players back, looking for the cross from the channel over and over again, the cross from the channel when it's just not on at all. Um, so, and then and then also. Um, Failing in our counter press and allowing Liverpool to have spells of possession in a ten v eleven situation. Yeah, and and you know in this time, of course, we with the disallowed goal happens, and I don't think we need to talk about it. It's a mistake. It happens. It's very unlucky for them. Um, it was quite obvious to be up to honest. But as soon as you saw the still, I was like, yeah, that's going to be given. Um, it wasn't. We got away with it. Um, 
And then they equalise. They equalise, I think, from another referee mistake. Destiny Doggy makes a completely legitimate challenge on Gakpo, which injures Gakpo, by the way. That's the that was the moment where his ankle caught beneath Udogi and and twisted. Um, they get a free kick. Udogi gets a yellow card again, unfairly. Uh, they take the free kick. It goes out for a throw, and then from that throw, it comes back out, and and Gakpo turns and shoots really impressively. Really good, yeah, really good goal. Um, and and it's one all going into half time. But of course, we've got the man advantage, and you still fancy us at half time. You think you know Postecoglou is going to have some time to figure this out, uh, mm. p- perhaps redirect some of our play. Uh, I thought Gary Neville actually made a really astute point in commentary that the way Postecoglou plays is you have lots of the ball in triangles in the middle to then work out to the wings in the final third. And that in fact, with 11 v 10 or 11 v 9, what you should do is the opposite of that. You should have more of the ball out wide to then work it into the middle in final third. And and, yeah. and, and I completely agreed. And we didn't do enough of that. It was really obvious like, that we yeah. didn't do enough of that. Um, yeah. And uh, then, then Jota makes, in my opinion, three yellow card challenges mm. and, and eventually gets his, his red... Um, I can't understand how they can complain about that. Frankly, he was just a moron, and you know, t- it's been said. But to make that challenge when you're on a yellow is is ridiculous. Um, by the time he got sent off, we'd already taken Son off uh, for Solomon, which, given what I said earlier about Richarlison being absolutely outstanding on the left, I thought was a mistake. I thought, wow, why why would you bring Solomon on for Son? which means moving Richarlison into the middle when you've got Veliz on the bench and you could leave Richarlison out wide still. But obviously, you know, I understand it because Veliz hasn't played at this level before and yeah. and Solomon has and, and got some assists against Burnley and, and looked pretty useful. But for me, it wasn't the right move. I think it was the wrong move. Um, and then it looks even worse once they're suddenly down to nine, in my view. It's it's the move that I wanted. It's the move I was calling out for because we needed a target in the box. I didn't I didn't really think about Valise being um, a brilliant being target bench. in the box. Yeah, yeah, a big a big a big old boy. Um, and I thought that we desperately needed like a one v one specialist out wide, which again Richardson had done okay at. Um, but uh, but Solomon um, is a lot better when he's not actually playing, and you think of him on a conceptual level as opposed to what he actually does on the pitch. Talk talk um, to us about Solomon then, Nathan. You know what were your I, frustrations I'm, with him in this game? I'm I'm reluctant to because like it's not his fault. I'm reluctant to because for for four years I've been coming on this podcast and defending <laughs> individual players yeah. who've been who've been scapegoated by by fans and by coaches. Um, but I'm so frustrated that we used a non-homegrown spot that we didn't have for the the role that Solomon has most weeks, but specifically in this game, is to beat his man and get to the byline. That's his whole purpose. That's the skill set that he has, yeah, or should have. Should have. That's that's his tactical purpose in this system and especially in this game. And he didn't do it. The first six times he received the ball, he he shaped up to beat his man, and then he decided against it and rolled it back to whoever was standing behind him. Normally, you doggy. And that um that drives me insane. Um, I want to take a break actually um, from moaning to like um, to like contextualize things a little bit because um, because all basically all of last season um, all of the second season under Mourinho I would have bitten your hand off for a performance like this and certainly yeah. a result like this right so 
all of my moaning in this episode um, comes from the context of we're really good now. So good. Um, we we've had a we've had an excellent excellent league campaign so far. I really believe more than I could even imagine in our coach. I'm really impressed with our recruitment now. I feel so positive about the way that we're heading, um, uh, where we are in the table, okay, only after a few games and all of that. So it's only within that context that I'm saying we kind of pissed about in this game, but we we pissed about in this game. However, in the grander context of the last five years, uh, not so bad, right? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, we, we, we failed to take advantage of the wide areas. Solomon, is his performance was indicative of that, but it was also the same on the right-hand side where, mm-hmm. look, okay, so think about the fact that we, we've we lost Perisic to injury. Perisic is, is the player who can go both ways and put a cross in, right? And uh, Solomon can go both ways but doesn't even want to cross the ball, let alone necessarily has great capability of it. And then on the other opposite side, Kulisevsky can cross the ball, but he can't go both ways. Also, uh, Poro can cross the ball, but he can't go both ways. However, between the two of them, they can threaten both ways. So certainly when we were when we were 10 v 11, but oh my goodness, especially when we were 9 v 11, Poro needs to become an outside right attacker yeah. combining with Kulusevsky yeah. and, and, and both of them threatening crosses from two different angles there. Because I think if we do that, when's the second red? Like 70 minutes or something? 70 minutes. We've got 20 minutes of that situation um, where we could have had Poro and Kulusevsky both wide right um, you know keep keep the the left back inverted whether that was Udogi or later Davies and that's fine because you've got enough cover there versus 100% yeah and just have Poro and Kulusevsky wide right you can move one into the channel occasionally swap them around get them doing triangles with with the near side of midfielder um, appreciate that Sars sort of one touch play isn't isn't optimal for that, but then Skip comes on later, which in itself is a whole thing. Sure, um, but yeah, we just we just really failed to take advantage um, of of having a two man advantage, and I found it very frustrating. And we won anyway, and we carry on with brilliant results. And I'm sure we'll probably play great football <laughs> next week. But I found this so frustrating to watch at the time. <laughs> yeah, same, same. How about you, Bardi? I mean, you must have just been thinking you wanted to be in the stadium at the end, but leading up to that. Um, really frustrating. It was it was frustrating. It was stressful, and you could see you could see where the faults were. But it also highlights the way that the amount of work we've still got to do with this squad. That yes, if Madison's having a dip, like there's no one to replace him. Richarlison, son comes off injured. Richarlison through the middle. We we're crying out for still a little bit of quality up front, and I think that's what's happened. Liverpool were very smart, man. They 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 nullified us and forced us into doing things. And the amount of times the ball kept going back to Basuma, and then Romero was stepping up into like a creative role. And yeah, you could see there was there's definitely issues with the squad when you turn to the bench. Solomon being like one of the most attacking players that we can bring on, and yeah, he's he's not great. But we got it done. Those are two tough games, man. Liverpool, Arsenal away, Liverpool at home to collect four points from those and now we go to Luton away and hopefully we can have a nice little run now. We could end up top for the international break, which would be amazing. That would be lovely. I do want to talk about the use of subs and I think we need to acknowledge exactly what Bardi just said there that you know we were restricted with what was on the bench. And it's a little unfortunate, isn't it, that Le Celso and Brian Hill and Brennan Johnson and Perisic are all out injured at the same time. You know, players that yeah. can come on in that attacking band and, and add something that 
that's unusual that they'd all be out at the same time and hopefully it won't happen for yeah Perisic comes on second yeah. half in that game and it's it, I think it's an easy win or, to or, be honest. or even you have Lacelso who can come on for Madison um when he's sure. when he's flagging I think that makes a big difference as well um all that taking into consideration you know I do think that that Ange was restricted by what was on the bench absolutely I was really frustrated by his use of subs I was really frustrated that he went like for like with all his subs. You know, he's he's taken off Son and put in Solomon and moved Richardson into the central striker, essentially like for like. He's brought on Ben Davis for Udogi. That's like for like. He's brought on Skip for Saar. That's like for like. But at this stage, a significant drop off, you know, with the amount Saar has improved across the season and Skip has, has A better fit for the scenario, I think, though. With, with, in, with the forward movement, are you saying? Forward movement, but also one-touch play. Uh, and um, to operating in small spaces rather than the larger spaces that Saar dominates. In theory, but he didn't create. He didn't complete a single pass. Oh goodness! Uh, okay, he won all his, <laughs> He lost all his jewels. You know, oh, he, I'm sure he, there were some line breaking moments, but he didn't do anything. I thought yes. that that looked, looked really bad at the time, but also even worse in retrospect. Skip had a good preseason busted yeah. into the box, you know. So I think that was part of the reason as well for another presence in the box. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, to me, like he he brings on Valise for Madison eventually. Um, Hoybier for Basuma. Hoybier did really well again. I thought um, Valise barely got a touch, but you know, it's another body, it's another player in the box for Liverpool to worry about. My thing, and I mentioned it at the start, like why not bring Donley on? Like, what's the purpose of having Donley on the bench if you're not going to use him in exactly this situation? He he's been the the closest thing we've got to Madison in the squad this season, judging by his under twenty one performances, which have been exceptional. He's a creator, he's a presser, he's a harrier, he makes things happen, and he's a really good ball striker. Like when you're eleven against nine, I just think, why the devil not? But the thing that annoyed me the most is the use of Romero when we had the two man advantage. So and it happened again eleven v ten. Essentially Romero became the spare man. He, yeah. we had, they stopped pressing from the front, so he had time in the ball. And so he became Rome Mero. So we've seen it before where he moves up the pitch and he has the ball in the final third and he stays up and he lingers. And I think the thing is about that is what's Romero's biggest strength defensively, i.e., the ball comes to him and he has immense composure. He takes the touch, he waits for the striker to approach him, and then he figures out the right angle to make the pass away, opening up space by having delayed a little bit. That is a huge strength in the defensive third. It's a weakness in the attacking third because he wants to wait before making the pass, which means he's constantly slowing down the attacks and we needed to move it quickly in the final third. And I'm thinking, and take Romero off, take Van der Ven off one of them and put on another forward player, put on a more creative player who can, you know, pep things up a little bit in the final third, add some zip rather than have Romero do that role, where, don't get me wrong, brilliant at covering back defensively and needs be, but you're really losing something every time he's got the ball there. Uh, and that really frustrated me. Having oh, said all this... Who well, did you take Romero off for? Like, uh, any, anyone he brought on, any of the subs that came on, I think if Romero or Van der Ven had been the one to come off, I, I would have been much more comfortable with the fact that we were having numerical advantage in the final third then, with players that are more purposeful in that area. But but we got the result. We got the result in the way that Nathan said we should have been trying to get the result, i.e. Porro makes the overlapping run and puts us in a dangerous ball and it ends up in the Liverpool net. And 96 minutes to do that yeah. for the first time and, and it instantly results in a goal. Right. It's maddening. It's right. maddening. I, um, I didn't think this was a great game for Basuma performance-wise. I think that he slowed the play down a lot and, um, and, and yeah, 
was restricted of in his passing range and put the ball behind players. Um, he's been he's been like um, well, the problem is that there's several contenders, but he's been as good as any other player in our squad, if not the best player so far for us for this season. And that's the context that I'm saying this in. But um, uh, Hoiberg was better when he came on because he was actually switching the ball with some some purpose and and try and and in doing so able to get Kuliszewski isolated a couple of times and and actually drove us. Um, forward with with some emphasis, which I which I felt Basuma wasn't doing in this game. He's had a hard week, Basuma. You know, True. Ars- Arsenal had a plan for him. <sighs> Jesus, Liverpool yeah. had a plan for him, and um, we've come through it. But it, it's been hard for him and Madison. Everyone's kind of realised now that these are the two guys to shut down. And uh, I think it's up for the rest of the squad to to help him out of that situation, but also for Basuma to come through it. I think that's a really good point. And uh, Keith Weichel, one of our exams, made a really interesting point about Basuma that he was specifically targeted by Liverpool. He was fouled nearly 10 times. Madison was about mm. half that. He said, the fouls speak to a general level of fear about our ability to turn quickly and effectively create. They disrupted that with tactical fouls for about 30 minutes. After that, they sunk deep and the deep line defence we know is tricky for our attack, which I think is a very astute point and um, also speaks to what Nathan was saying earlier about how Liverpool are having to resort to tactical fouls because they, they're getting caught. Yeah. Um, sorry, are you going to say something? No, just just that. Uh, yeah, I I I do feel for Basuma getting beaten up every week now, um, and and worry again about our lack of cover. Man, he, said he takes some hits. Decent. Yeah, I mean, like essentially, in my opinion, uh, we're like two ACL ruptures in debt to to the the marvels of science because. Uh, in my mind, <laughs> Madison went down with a blown up knee and then just decided to get back up again and carry on playing a game of football. And then against Liverpool, um, <laughs> Basuma had his, his knee inverted and then decided to just stand back up and carry on a game of football. Right. So, um, I feel bad that, you know, we're using, uh, using Perisic as a sort of, uh, meat shield <laughs> for, for <laughs> all our ACL injuries, but. What a meat uh, shield, though. If, you, yeah. if you're going to use anyone as a meat shield, you use his body. Yeah, it's, a <laughs> it's a good choice. Mm, absolutely. Um, Bardi <laughs> makes this very fine point that we've come through two big tests here and we've got four points from them. And that is, we would have all taken that ahead of these two games. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And if you look at our run of fixtures now, we've got on paper what looked like four relatively... I'm going to say comfortable, but it's probably the wrong word, games. So we've got Luton away, Fulham at home, Palace away, and Chelsea at home. 
you know, this isn't this isn't Chelsea as as they once were. They are a mess of a team at the moment. So I'd say we're even four games in, we'll be playing them at a, a pretty good time. That looks like a quite favourable run of fixtures now after these two. Um, Harry TS from the Discord said, I don't mean to be a killjoy, but do yesterday's performances, ignoring the result and how funny it is to get one over that prick clop, actually show how far off we are and that Liverpool are the only club that could run City close this season? I wanted to get your thoughts on that. I mean, is that something we need to reassess after those four games? Um, good good question. Yeah. Sorry, buddy. Good question. Uh, no. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no. I've seen a bunch of... I mean, obviously, there's been some insane Liverpool tweets, but I've seen a bunch of tweets from Liverpool fans who are like, look how well we played when we were down to nine therefore if you if you increase our performance by an additional 20 percent, then we're we're brilliant that's not how it works <laughs> that's not you're not going to bring on two more center backs and just play <laughs> low block and counter it when when it's your turn to play luton um i think that, that liverpool has some serious problems this season and um uh there was some exposure to those problems in this game although also obviously um they got a bit unlucky with how things went uh, and also we failed to take great advantage of that um yeah i don't think i don't think liverpool are are the are title contenders this season no way no way i mean they got lucky against newcastle they got reasonably lucky against west ham they gave up an awful lot of chances to west ham if they were any good they would have buried them they were reasonably lucky against Wolves and Villa at the moment are a team that just blow hot and cold. You don't know what Villa's going to turn up. So for Liverpool to, to, to have that, the audacity to say, oh, we could finish one point behind Man City. It's like, come on. I wish I had the self-confidence of like, like even 50% of the self-confidence that <laughs> Liverpool fans do. Just come on, man. Like they're going to get within one point of, of City. No. Liverpool is one of these... It's one of these um, results where they lost but they can they can take a bit of heart from it but yeah Nathan's right that just because you got kind of close with nine men doesn't mean you would have won the game with 11 I think Liverpool rather like Arsenal would have would have kind of dropped out eventually they couldn't keep it up and we, we would have punished them yeah in terms of what this says about us um obviously you're you're not playing against 10 and you're not playing against nine very often you only play against Liverpool a couple of times a season um, and and other teams who carry that level of threat on the counter. So there's a bit of a difference there. But I do want to see... I need to see someone get into the byline against Luton. I need to see someone, whether it's, um, you know, we're playing Richarlison wide left and saying, don't actually just become a forward in the final third, stay as a winger. Whether it's a play that allows Kudosevsky to run to the byline off the ball, whether it's getting Poro out on, out on the wide right or something... We've got to find a way to, with the players who we have that are fit, actually stretch uh, a fullback and get over in wide areas because um, we, uh, yeah, it took us 96 minutes to do it against Liverpool. Mm-hmm. And if we can't, then uh, we've got a splash big on a winger in January, or maybe we should just do that anyway. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do agree that we probably need one more winger in in January. Um, that said, I'm really interested to see how he uses Brian Hill, uh, what he thinks he can do, whether he plays on the left or the right, um, how high up the pecking order he ends up. Because uh, I think there's I think there's some potential there. You know, he's a really neat, tidy player when it comes to playing triangles and moving off the ball. He's also a really intense presser. So I think there's something that Ange can get behind. And I do think he's a level up from Solomon, personally. Uh, so in- interested to see how that pans out. 
this um, this game against Liverpool will be pretty handy next week against Luton because I, I fully expect Luton to do exactly what Liverpool mm. did. Pack the box out with a bunch of giants and then just try and play on, on the counter or win a corner because they're, they're players, man. <laughs> they're proper agricultural. They're, they're monsters. And that's that's how they're going to play it. They just got to chuck it in there and hope that massive centre back gets his head on it. <laughs> and they do they do play the uh, the back five as well that we saw mm. Liverpool play. So probably oh, not yeah. the worst little test. I think that's probably an extra bit of context that I should have added to my my criticism of Solomon is that um, this frustration is much more so the case when he's up against a wing back than whether he's up against a full back. Um, so when he's up against a full back and he can get a bit of motion towards them first because they have to they have to defend deeper and narrower um then he comes off better whereas when he's up against the wing back who can close him down as he receives he struggles more but then having said that he still had definitely opportunities to to use momentum against uh, against his wing back in this game so hmm. um yeah something to look out for with that yeah so luton had 32 percent possession against Sean Dyche's Everton at the weekend. <laughs> uh, predictions for how much possession we'll have against Luton? Well, I think it's got to be close to 70, 71%, 72%. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say even higher. I think we might have 75% possession against Luton. Uh, and, and again, it could be a very frustrating match if we don't get a breakthrough. The thing, the thing that was a little disappointed in the Liverpool game is that we had lots of set pieces and we didn't make the most of any of them because that would have just made life so much easier. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if Vio is still at the club... We don't need Perisic. Yeah. <laughs> if you're still at the club, we're, we're, we're three up by 60 minutes, no yeah. problem. And, you know, the Richarlison one that came off the post, it would have been such a good moment. To get, it would have been 2 0 at that stage, and it, that, I think that's game over. I, I forgot to say when you were bigging up Richarlison, I, I do feel a little bit with him, especially your comments. It's like you were almost being like congratulatory towards him. Like, Go on, Richarlison. You did good there. You did good, my friend. So you were praising the stuff that you would expect a like a, a normal winger to be able to do, if you see what I mean. That he had a good game in the context of Richarlison's regular games for Spurs. I just thought he was outstanding. I really did. I thought he was brilliant in everything he did. Like there wasn't there was no moment in this game where I thought he should have done something different there. The only thing obviously was timing the run the second time round for the Madison through ball. He went a bit early. Um, and he does he does get called offside quite a lot. Um, I guess it's eagerness, maybe. Um, that was that wasn't ideal. But other than that, I just thought he was great. Like when I watched it back, I'm just watching all his decisions and thinking, did the right thing every time. He's doing things that surprised me. His touch looked neater and tidier. Just seemed more confident. I don't know. Maybe the stuff that he was talking about, the personal issues, really are just a massive weight off his shoulders, and he's playing with a bit more freedom and fluency. And uh, you know, Ange has handled the situation really well as well. It seems seems to be a lot of support for him from his teammates. I guess the thing with with Luton up next is like uh, you can't play Richarlison at the centre forwards and wide left, right? Is Sun going to serve much purpose in frankly either role against Luton? Mm. Are you going to is Valise going to start against Luton? Not going to happen, is it? It's not going to happen. So it's a bit of a tricky one. I I I guess we probably start the same eleven and then get and then waste Sun for sixty minutes before trying something different. Hope that we get the early goal and then it just changes the dynamic of the game completely. Is is what we need. Do you think that Luton would try to have the ball if there were two goals down? No. Do you, do you think Luton would try to press out of their own third if there were two goals down? I don't 
in a can. Right. So, so how can Sun <laughs> the clip before you know at the weekend? It, Sun scores a hat trick, but <laughs> it's long. It's long range efforts, isn't it? It's it's taking shots from the edge of the box. Yeah. Or tappings. He's we keep scoring a very similar goal. Yeah, that movement. Tapping. That movement. I said that on my uh, post match reaction pod that that goal was the movement for the goal was very similar to one he scored against Arsenal. Just anticipating getting ahead of a defender, you know. He, I, we, we. I think we all agree that Son has slowed down a little, but where he hasn't slowed down is that burst, that kind of speed of thought and acceleration. And he, he made that his. It was really impressive, and he did the same again for the disallowed goal. Um, yeah, lovely stuff. Um, I just mentioned the the post match reaction pod. I've been doing a reaction pod on patreon for our x subs 10 or 15 minutes after every game just to get some initial thoughts out there uh bardy you've also been busy this week yeah i spoke to john greken who's writing a book that's about to come out in the next few days it's called revolution and Ange postacoglu the man the methods and the mastery um he travels to australia to speak to people that knew postacoglu growing up and his kind of early days there and it tracks his career from from Australia through to Greece to Japan, obviously Celtic and the rest of it. He's a um, Scottish football writer who's a Rafe Rovers fan, but very much became um, fully 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 Ange. He's really admires a guy and really likes him, and he's also become a bit of a Spurs fan now because of Postacoglu. So it was great to chat to him and to find out a little bit more about the Postacoglu wilderness years where he couldn't get a job, so he just went into kind of volunteering and, and charity work. Nice, lovely stuff. And Nathan, you said you did a bit of. Um live analysis on the discord um what, what are you working on at the moment i've been coding a lot um the the last couple of weeks i've worked out how to work out where and when players carry the ball based on the gaps in between them doing other things and uh it's been a uh, it's been real tricky thanks to harsh uh uh at simply wink one of our patrons who's helped me out with that a little bit lovely man um, but uh i don't it's I spent I spent uh, like three and a half days working really hard on that, and it was really stressful. And I felt so proud that I got it done. And I tweeted out my first sort of few carries graphics, and no one was especially interested. <laughs> but it meant a lot to me. They look great. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what to do video wise next. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna think about that for a little bit. There's there's a lot of possibilities. I feel with this squad, yeah. there's a lot going on. Um, so this week, Spurs did something that I think we were probably all a bit disappointed in. Uh, the, the wider supporters community is disappointed in that is they announced a partnership with Socios um, to have to use these social tokens. Um, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but I think after the fan forum, Daniel Levy had made some inroads into the way supporters were feeling about him and his leadership and ownership of the, of the club. And... Moves like this are like one step forward, two steps back. Why are you doing this, man? The, the money that we'll be making from socials just surely cannot justify the involvement with this scheme, which has been uh, used at five other Premier League clubs and been roundly criticised for how useless it is. Essentially, it's using... Um, it's it's The tokens which you are given as, as a member or season ticket holder... Uh, are based on blockchain technology that underpins cryptocurrencies. You can buy tokens as well if you're not a member or if you're a member and want extras. Get the cryptocurrency first in order to buy them. Indeed. Indeed. 
And yeah, I mean, Nathan, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, sure. Uh, it's a massive scam. It's a scam built on top of a scam. Uh, so you you get these tokens and they they allow you to vote on what are largely meaningless things. Yeah. Um, which like if we're already entitled to those things, right? If <laughs> you might you might say like, oh, okay, you pay a quid and you get to vote on on some polls. In isolation, that's not such a bad deal. But as fans, we're morally entitled to these decisions, big and small as it is. The big ones aren't aren't on aren't available anyway, so it's irrelevant. And the small ones are small enough that you're just throwing your money away. But also, it, it so that is bullshit. But it's also built on top of the greater scam of cryptocurrency, which is which is a total nonsense anyway. Uh, it, it's just a huge um, pump and dump scheme. Um, when when this was a whole thing like two years ago, um, I thought, oh, okay, that's gonna that's gonna all go up in flames and be like a whole big deal. And there was a, immediately some good reporting, and there's been good reporting since. And then about a year ago, I thought, oh, and, and more reporting had come out reflecting on it. I thought, oh, you know, thank God Spurs didn't get involved in that. Yeah. It's a good job that 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 yeah. window was gone. To to get involved with it now is like. I don't really, I can't analogize for it. It's just, it's absurd. It's, it's after the pump and dump has been done. It's after everything's gone up in flames to then sort of try to present it as an exciting opportunity for fans. It's, it's, it's like, it's so absurd that it's comical. Yeah. And I I think a lot of fans sort of, uh, when I tweeted about it, a lot of people pushed back saying that people don't have to buy them. You know, you don't, it's just don't buy them then. It's not the point. The point is that people will buy them because Spurs have given them credibility by being involved with Socios and, yeah. you know, possibly introducing fans to the concept of cryptocurrency for the first time. And uh, as Nathan says, it's, it's uh, not a good thing to, to be involved in on a general level. Um, the people or person that owns the coins, which the Socios will be based on, uh, what's happened to the previous clubs is they've gone up in price rapidly and then fallen so what will happen is as they go up the owner will sell 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 make a whole bunch of money then they'll come down and be worth less than what they were before to the people that have potentially bought them as spurs fans having you know seen the club give them this credibility so there is a degree to which the club are exposing their own fans to the vulnerabilities of the crypto market, yeah. which is which is highly immoral. And for what? We, we don't need the money. We're not at the point where we're destitute and need this extra bit of income to make a signing in January. We're doing all right, thanks. There's no need for this, Daniel. It's completely unnecessary. And I, I urge you to read the very good thread by Martin Caladine, who is Ugly Game on Twitter, um, who's exposed all this stuff before and um, and sums it up brilliantly, I think, in that thread. You, you use the term the vulnerabilities. Sorry, buddy. You use the term the vulnerabilities of the crypto market. And I think that's massively underselling it because this is the socios of their own regulators. Yeah, the deliberate vulnerability. So it is specifically designed yeah. so that there will be absolutely a deliberate pump and dump play yeah. um, internally from socios and, 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 and whoever their partners and, might and be. And Spurs know that. They've gone into and it with Spurs their eyes that. open. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, without, without adding to the reputation, I seem to be building up being some kind of boomer. I have no idea what it is. So if you don't know what something is, don't don't buy it. Don't, <laughs> don't invest in it. Yeah. yeah, that's my tips. And I agree with you too. I'm, I, yeah, no idea what it is. <laughs> 
Classic Bardi. Uh, one question, and then we will and we'll call it a day for this week. This is from uh, Ben Schiffer. I really like this question. Ben says, is data-led analysis simply an investigation into what has happened rather than what could happen? What I mean by that is that it doesn't seem to me to take into account potential for growth or change necessarily or what might happen to a player's metrics if they're put into a different team. Is it good at simply analysing what has happened in the past, but not good at predicting what could happen in the future? Of course, the idea is that you use past data to predict future performance, and but simplistically, if all the data from the player is generated by them playing left-back in a low-block team, is that data particularly useful pr- for predicting what might happen if that same player plays false nine in a possession-based team, to use an extreme, unlikely example? Uh, ben also adds, P.S. If you do read this out on the pod, could you please give a shout out to Roland, who is Windy's biggest fan and has taken to introducing me to people as his best friend and sidekick, <laughs> which is which is lovely. Um, but oh, Nathan, yeah. I, I, when I read this question, I did think about yeah. you and Pedro Porro. <laughs> I yeah. just thought about me and Vicario as you as you read well, this. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, yeah, no, Porro's Porro's a good Porro's a good one. So I mean, as a, as a more general point. Um, the the easy example would be expected goals, right? Expected mm. goals are measuring things that have happened, but also they're a expected goals are a greater predictor of goals scored in the future than goals are. Mm. Yeah. So in that sense, um, the most famous uh, analytical metric in football is is a better predictive than um, the than eye the test. Non, yeah, than the eye test for sure. Yeah, for, for example. Um, Poro is a good example. So I apologised the other night. Um, oh, did I, you? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I tweeted out saying, "Weak." Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the reverse back into double down <laughs> any second now. <laughs> so I got it wrong on Pedro Poro. I said that Pedro Poro couldn't, not, not, not would have a hard time. Not would take a long time. I, I think I said that Poro just couldn't play as an inverted right back. And I think that he was exceptional against Liverpool. I think that there were some tactical issues that probably aren't his fault or how he was used and should have gone back to a more of a wing-back role towards the end of the game. But in terms of how he played the role that he was given, um, he played it very well. Not only did he play it very well, but he, his his weaknesses have become his strengths. His 1v1 defending, his positional game, the safety of his build-up game have all become really strong attributes um, that were, were things that I thought that he just could not do. But also, Bardi... Uh, I was right to think that. If you, if you, if you, <laughs> yes. if you, if you look at um, how frequently players with such strong traits do and don't develop into completely different players, um, it was a high gamble. The windy took, by the way, it was a high gamble to say this is a technically gifted player, therefore he can shift into a different technical role. And where, whereas I got it wrong, and Wendy did get it right, I think it is. Um, um, I think it's a bit tea leaves to to just sort of always think that's going to work. To, for example, let's assume that we 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 didn't get him in January. Let's assume that we bought Poro in the summer, which actually technically legally <laughs> we did. <laughs> um, to risk that that amount of money on saying I'm going to take this one player and completely transfer him into a different player, and it's worked out. Um, but I think you have to analyze the information that was available at the time rather than just work backwards from the result. So I got it wrong, but I think I got it wrong on sound grounds. And that is, um, that is simultaneously, yes, the shortfall of, of, of data led analysis compared to if you're Postacoglu and you're able to work with him on a daily basis and you're able to say, Hey, when I talk to this guy in the training ground, he's really receptive to what I have to say. 
and Wendy's going to talk about Matt Wells in a second and, and, and the role that he played. Um, so that's that's where, you know, just analysing what a player does in competitive play, both both with the eye test and with data, um, can shortfall. I'd also say at the same time, I went and looked at Udogi's performances last season and said, hey, this guy's going to be an excellent inverted fullback based on the skills that he have. So it's not like you can never never do what I'm saying. Poro is an extreme example where um, I would go, if I could rewind time, I'd make that same bet again. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with you, by the way. I think your you, your principles were correct and um, your analysis was detailed and thorough. Um, and I think, you know, I had an advantage by the fact that I'd been to watch Porro play for Lisbon and saw what he was like up close and saw the high level of technical skill when he had the ball in, in multiple different situations. And I do think like looking at players... Um, technique at close range is is absolutely invaluable. Um, you need to see that to be able to scout properly. I think I, you know there's some brilliant work being done solely on data and tape, but I think ultimately you have to go and watch a player in the flesh as well. Um, the other thing is, of course, we've got Postecoglou, who is an outstanding, outstanding coach who has transformed Poro as a player um, positionally, but he's also transformed Poro as a player in terms of his decision making, and uh, I think that's really important to acknowledge. And you know, it's really like we where we were last year was very different to where we are now. There's, you look now at our squad and you think of possibilities for players because Ange has given that sort of range and scope and I don't think we were there under Conte he it was more like he'll be given the players that he wants and he'll do really well with them but he's not going to transform them he's not going to he couldn't even get a tune out of Basuma who look look at him now he's been one of our best players um, but I do think the the reference to Matt Wells is important there's a quote from Postacoglu Postacoglu said after the match uh about Porro you could see today that's the area he's working really hard at, particularly Matt Wells and the whole back four. All the defenders have been working really hard with Matty Wells, just on their defensive principle. And I think you're seeing the fruits of their labour. So uh, Postacogli, whenever he goes to a club, brings in a whole new set of coaches. On this occasion, we already had Wells and Mason at the club. Uh, I've been high on Wells for a while because I really like the idea of his video analysis. But clearly he's doing some outstanding work with our defence as a unit. They look like a really well-oiled unit. They're working well together. And their movement, the fullback's movement inside when we have possession is um, is kind of metronomic now. It's just, just second nature. They know where to be. And uh, Wells and Postacoglu deserve a lot of credit for the transformation in Porro's game. But I think Porro is a fabulous, fabulous player. And I'm so happy we've got him. I really love Pedro Porro. I think he is one of my favourite players, to be honest. Um, and seeing how he's improved defensively this year as well has been a joy. Shout out before we go to Kay um, from the Discord for the fabulous title that we're going to use this week. Lovely work, Kay. You have been listening to The Extra Inch with me, Windy, my sidekick and best friend, Barney, and our tactics guy, Nate If you like this, there's plenty more at patreon.com forward slash The Extra Inch. Production is by Nathan A. Clark. Our logo, artwork and website are designed by Trayton Miller. Our music is by David Lindmer. You can find him on Instagram at David Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us at podcast at theextrainch.co.uk. Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the X-Subs. We love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs. 
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.